Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. following selection is entitled The Guru. Horizons seem to expand into lands that dreams are made from, as past disappointments fade towards forgetfulness. Possibilities fuel my heart-soul with high-octane hope that helps me cope with doubts that, like vampires, feed off the night. Moonbeams lead down a strange way to spaces where some say light of the sun may rise in reflected human form. Ready to abandon all that preceded this moment, a sought-for future calls me to embrace uncertainty. Yearning haunts the halls of time where I have learned to deal with the problems to which real men taunt my desire to transcend. Shallow surfaces deceive. Misdirection is a key to the magic that is spun around one's eyes, ears, and mind. I only ask for the truth, but they are ruthless with words, which wrap events in pretty packages like bait on hooks. My fate wobbles in between what is said and done by those fully mesmerized with one who remains a mystery. We write our own stories, he said, which makes me wonder why someone would betray essence in such calculated ways. I never lie is a phrase that falls from his lips like quips of a politician who rarely speaks with honesty. Wishing that the myth had been more than an empty promise, my heart spins on with the task of answering what it asks. This week's short story is called Storm. One of the students of a spiritual teacher came to the main center one day in a very dejected and sad state. 
The young man asked permission to speak with his mentor, and the student was ushered into a den-like room by one of the center's attendants. After a short wait, the teacher appeared and sat down near the student. The teacher requested that some refreshments be brought for the two of them, and while they were waiting for whatever was being arranged, the two of them engaged in light conversation about this and that. The young man knew his teacher would, when the time was appropriate, ask about what was going on with the young man's life. Therefore, the student was content to let his teacher conduct the meeting according to the latter's nature and personality. After the refreshments arrived and the two were left alone, the teacher inquired, Son, I could sense when I first came into the room that you were upset by something, so why don't you let me know what is burdening you, and then we'll see what can be done to help your situation. The young man was thankful for the opportunity to finally discuss what was preoccupying his mind and weighing on his heart. The student started slowly, but went a little faster as he began to enter further into the concerns which had brought him to his teacher. Sir, I'm not trying to complain, but there is something with which I'm having a great deal of difficulty. I accept the idea that everything has its purpose, and as well, that there is a reason for everything which happens, quite independently of whether or not I understand what is going on. But, continued the young man, there appears to be so much evil in the world. Everywhere I look, evil seems to be on the rise, and goodness appears to be in retreat. I often get suffocated by it all. When I feel this way, I don't know what to do. I seem to become spiritually lost and paralyzed. When the student had finished, the teacher was quiet. Over the years, the young man had come to understand that the teacher had his own way of resolving issues, and consequently his spiritual guide didn't always respond directly to questions and problems which were being posed. After a few moments of silence, the teacher asked, Do you know what the weather forecast is for tomorrow? The student was somewhat surprised by the question, but responded with, I believe it's supposed to rain. The teacher received the information impassively. He was silent for a short while longer and then said, Well, try not to become too caught up in your worries about the seeming omnipresence of evil. Do the best you can with this. I'm sure you will be helped to deal with it. As he spoke the last words, the teacher arose, indicating that the discussion had come to an end. The student also rose and thanked his spiritual guide for the latter's time and consideration. The student left the teacher's house in a slightly depressed mood. He had hoped his guide might have said or done something which would have resolved the problem, but such had not been the case, and consequently he didn't feel much better than he did when he had gone to see the teacher, although no matter what happened, seeing his teacher always helped make things a bit more bearable. The next day, just as the young man had related to his teacher during their meeting of the previous afternoon, it rained. The rain was steady and from time to time quite heavy. The student decided he would go out for a walk in the rain. The storm was like his inner state made manifest. 
Traipsing about in the rain helped give expression to what was going on in him. God willing, as surely as the storm would pass, so too his own storm might pass as well. During his walk, he came to the garden in the city's central park area. Feeling a little soaked, he took a seat in a gazebo and just let his mind and senses wander about the garden area. Because of the weather, the garden was deserted and the young man was alone. However, the state of affairs did not last long. Soon, a woman strolled into the park and began to move about the garden in a strange sort of way consisting of various kinds of jumps, gyrations, and contortions. Whirling about here and there, she seemed to be trying to accomplish something, but the student wasn't exactly sure what that something was, except behaving in an odd manner. The jumping about, sudden movements back and forth, along with a sort of side-stepping motion with her hands down by her side, as if the woman were trying to work her way through a narrow alley, continued for nearly sixty minutes. Towards the end of the hour, the woman stopped the wild gyrations, shrugged her shoulders, sighed deeply, and started to dance in a most graceful way. In fact, the dance was so elegant and beautiful to watch that the student was transfixed by the motion. Suddenly, the woman stopped her dancing. She abruptly turned on her heels and quickly left the garden area, just as the hour came to an end. The following day, the student had some spare time in the late afternoon, and he returned to the spiritual center to meet with his teacher in order to talk about what he had witnessed the previous day. After a short wait, the young man was admitted into his teacher's presence. When the young man took the proffered seat, his teacher asked, So, what brings you back to us so quickly? The student described everything that had transpired while he had been sitting in the gazebo. The young man confessed that the whole sequence of events puzzled him. What do you suppose the woman you saw was up to? inquired the teacher. The young man replied, I've been thinking about little else since witnessing those strange events, but I am sorry to say that I really haven't been able to figure out what was happening. It was all very strange and sort of surrealistic. The teacher was silent for a moment and then said, You know, son, based on your description, I think I might know what that woman was doing. The first part you talked about, the part where she was going through all those wild gyrations and weird movements, I think she was trying to squeeze in between the raindrops and avoid getting wet. Then the teacher asked, Do you think she was successful? The student laughed and said, no, she looked pretty drenched despite all her activity. The teacher looked at the student for a few moments, as if studying him. Finally, the guide said, You know the problem with which you came to me the other day, the one about evil seeming to be everywhere? Well, you can no more avoid being touched by evil in this world than that woman could dodge the rain no matter how much she tried. When you finally come to realize this, son, you will see, as that woman in the park seemed to, that perhaps the only solution is to shrug and begin letting your spirit dance amidst the storm as best you can. The title of the following musical interlude is Look Around You. 
From the outback of Australia to the rainforests of South America, from the frozen tundra of Siberia to the plains of Serengeti, from the Himalayans of Asia to the white cliffs of Dover, from the geysers of Yosemite to the glaciers of Antarctica, you are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. Today's meditative essay is entitled, Murid. On the Sufi path, there is the seeker, Murid, and there is the sought, Murad. Ostensibly, we might suppose we are the seekers and God is the sought, but things are not always what they seem to be. When a person becomes interested in pursuing the mystical path, the individual thinks this idea and interest has come from herself or himself. Perhaps the individual had been reading an article or book on mysticism which the person came across in some manner or other. Maybe the individual ran into somebody at school or at work who was interested in mysticism. Possibly the person heard about a public lecture on mysticism and decided to go. There are many ways to rationally reconstruct events to have them make sense to us after the fact. Most of the time, all of the little things that had to happen in order to get us to the point where we, for example, saw an article or heard an announcement about a lecture or came into contact with a given individual are lost in the mists of forgotten memory. We do choose, we do have free will, but we also have destiny. Events surrounding our choices are orchestrated. The choices we, in reality, have are not necessarily as many as we might like to think is the case. We choose events, but events choose us as well. Sometimes the only choice we may have is A, to acquiesce to varying degrees to what is transpiring, or B, to try to resist in some way the way things are unfolding, Indeed, our options even may be limited merely to picking the degree of acquiescence or resistance to events which we cannot avoid. In considering a course of action, many ideas may flitter into and out of consciousness. We assume these ideas are generated by us, but we have no conclusive etiology of the origin of ideas. Modern nerve physiology has brought forth a great deal of evidence linking impaired cognitive functioning with damage to specific brain sites. Nonetheless, no one, neurophysiologists included, has the foggiest notion of how or if neural impulses or bioelectric circuitry or neurotransmitters working individually or in tandem produce ideas or consciousness or reasoning. One can show that by tinkering with the tubes and circuit boards of a television set, one can disrupt the functioning of the set in precise ways. Yet this does not prove the images and sounds made possible by the set originate from within that set. We all know the signals originate elsewhere and are transmitted through the air or through cables to the television. The ideas which arise in our consciousness are not necessarily our own. They may have many different sources, including spiritual ones. Sufi masters indicate God is, in a sense, transmitting signals to us all the time. Some of these messages are in the form of external events. Some of these signals 
come through our bodies or our minds or our emotions or our hearts. Divinity is calling out to us in diverse ways. From the moment we come into this world, God is trying to get our attention. Hello? Hello? Is anybody at home? More often than not, we are out to lunch or on holiday. When something finally clicks in us and we become interested in religion or spirituality or mysticism, we tend to want to take credit for what is happening. We speak in terms of our search and our seeking. In reality, we have been the sought. God has been the seeker. Why would God seek us? God knows the spiritual potential which is in us. After all, that potential was created and put there by divinity. God, out of pure love, compassion, generosity, and kindness, wishes to share something of divinity with us. God has been seeking us out to apprise us of what is possible. In effect, God is seeking out human beings in at least two senses. First, God is seeking us out in our unredeemed condition of spiritual dissipation. God is calling on us to leave our fallen state of ignorance, darkness, and density and to return to the knowledge, light, and subtlety of divinity. Secondly, God is seeking out the unique, essential spiritual capacity within us. Only when this capacity is realized do we become fully human. Only when this capacity becomes active do we fulfill the purpose of our potential. If we willingly respond to the divine overture to return to God in a state of spiritual redemption, this is commendable. However, if we willingly respond to God's entreaties and struggle to realize our unique, essential potential, this is best. The Sufi masters take this seeking of us, the sought by God, the seeker, one step further. According to them, human beings are in essence divine, although we are not divinity in essence. There is both immanence and transcendence in God's relationship with human beings. God is closer to us than life itself, yet God also is entirely independent of us. God's closeness or immanence to us is expressed through the divine character of the potential inherent in our essential spiritual nature. At the same time, God's transcendence is expressed through the distinction drawn between us, even in our essential nature, and the essence of God. Human beings always remain human, even in redeemed and fully realized forms of spirituality. Our capacity to know God is limited by our spiritual capacity. We only know of God what divinity permits. When God seeks us in order to induce us to seek divinity, God is calling us to realize our essential capacity in true identity, which has divinity inherent in it. When we respond to God's call, we take the role of seeker, and God becomes the sought. Nonetheless, God becomes the sought in a very special sense. God is being sought in the forms of manifestation which give expression to our unique capacities and essential identity. Consequently, we are seeking the divine within. In effect, we are seeking our own true selves. Ultimately, God is the seeker and God is the sought. However, in a reflected sense, we also are the seeker and the sought. It is all a matter of perspective. To be a true seeker or morid, 
one has to understand one's responsibility as a potential murad or object which is sought by God. That which divinity is seeking within us is, as indicated above, the true self. If we do not seek to realize our essential capacity, we will not be able to worship, love, and serve God in accordance with our spiritual potential. As a result, we will have missed our essential calling in life. We will have failed in our fiduciary responsibilities in relation to the potential which God has entrusted into our care when we were, in a sense, given existence. We must seek our essential uniqueness because this is what God is seeking from us. If, by the grace of God, we realize our true self, then according to Sufi masters, we will come to understand that the seeker and the sought are different manifestations of one and the same reality. The relationship between the initiate and the spiritual guide reflects all of the foregoing. More specifically, if God wishes, an initiate comes to realize in time that the true self of the sheikh is God's way of inducing the initiate to seek his or her own essential self. One first comes into contact with one's own essential self through the reflection provided by the true self of the sheikh. By becoming introduced to our true selves through association with the true self of the sheikh, one comes face to face in reflected form with divine reality. Everything which the sheikh does with respect to the initiate is a manifestation of God seeking to induce the initiate to realize one truth, namely the essential capacity of the individual. This is what actually is being sought by God and therefore by implication also by the spiritual guide and the initiate. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Music